everyone, and welcome to Wildstorm Addiction, episode number 42 for January of 2013. I'm Joe David Solis. And I'm Ben Murphy. And uh, we're going to start off the uh, the first podcast of the new year here with a lot of uh, news, <laughs> which, like we always say, it always comes out right before we record. So, But I do want to mention that we are going to be discussing Stormwatch number 15 tonight, Grifter number 15, Ravagers number 7, and Team 7 number 3, as well as some other Wildstorm appearances in the DCU New 52, and we do spoil these issues. But uh, you guys should be reading them faster nowadays. So, <laughs> <laughs> first up, kind of a continuation of something we talked about last month. Uh, Brett Booth continued his 20-year anniversary celebration since Jim Lee hired him at his blog by posting two more sketches after his grifter pic- picture that we mentioned last month. Uh, he posted a taboo and a, z- a zealot sketch. So. Uh, he also mentioned that he hopes to get Backlash introduced into the New 52 sometime in 2013. So that was really cool to hear. I know that he had mentioned that he had tried here this past year and it just never worked out. So, And uh, we'll have a link to, to, to the specific part of his blog, but <laughs> I always love his blog name. It's uh, demonpuppy.blogspot.com. <laughs> so. There will be epic to hopefully get backlash. That would be awesome. Yeah, and if Brett Booth's doing it, God, I just I just hope they give him give it to him. You know, yeah, absolutely. So, but uh, March does bring some more Wildstorm goodness into the New Fifty Two as Team Seven Number Six features the debut of Lady Tron. So it's cool that we're getting yet another um, Wildstorm character, and I you know she's a second generation Wildcat, right? <laughs> Yes. So, yes. so technically, we're getting another Wildcat. So, um, yeah, she always seemed to be uh, pretty popular. So, so I'm I wouldn't be surprised if uh, when we do get a Wildcats title, that she'll be part of it. So that'll be awesome. And I also mentioned in that same issue that uh, Caitlin Fairchild will be showing up, and uh, and it, it seems to be a continuation of the previous month where we saw her and her dad fighting against Spartan and Team Seven Number Five. So. So it's cool that they've they're going to be showing some of that history, and uh, this is the first issue that they seem to be uh, doing a split where we're going to get you know the past, but we're also going to get a modern day story where Deathstroke is hunting down his former Team Seven teammates, and the uh, we we get a split cover as well because it shows you know uh, Lady Tron fighting Black Canary in the past, and then. The other side shows Grifter uh, laying on the ground impaled by Deathstroke's sword. Uh, you know, assuming Deathstroke is like Grifter, I'm just going to put your t- you and your title out of your misery. <laughs> <laughs> That's an interesting concept with the uh, past and the present. If you'll remind me when we get to the Team Seven uh, review, they they're starting to to kind of play around with that with the the variant covers. So um, so yeah, it is interesting that they're doing that. Um, Stormwatch number 18, also in March, is going to feature an appearance by Zealot, as the team appears to be fighting the Engineer. So it's it's good that they uh, are not going to leave Zealot out in the cold, and that she's not just going to be a booty call for Deathstroke. So <laughs> <laughs> it's funny that uh, you know a lot of people picked up on that because I've been watching the the boards like at Comic Book Resources, and and they all talk about that. <laughs> That's <laughs> so. all it was. <laughs> And speaking of uh, Deathstroke, uh, number 18 features Warblade and the Ravagers, and it seems to tie in with Ravagers number 10, which also mentions Deathstroke. So 
Uh, I know that uh, Justin Jordan just started writing Deathstroke with number 15, so so it uh, kind of makes sense that um, that they kind of intertwine it all like that. So it's cool that they're pushing. And somebody mentioned that they also thought that they were doing that because Deathstroke's going to appear on the uh, the CW series Arrow here soon. So he, he has before several times already, actually. Oh, has he? Okay. Yeah. I guess I guess they're really pushing him then, so that way he can be a regular. So, I as you can tell, I'm very behind on that show. It's <laughs> okay. I feel very teeny bopper every time I watch it. <laughs> Just when you turn on the CW. <laughs> yes. I, I pull on my tight jeans and <laughs> your skinny jeans. Yeah, my skinny jeans. Thank you. <laughs> Um, March also sees the release of the Authority Volume 1 hardcover, which collects number 1 through 12, which is all of Warren and Ellis's run. The solicit, for some reason, mentions Mark Millar, but his run didn't start until number 13. And to add to the oddities of this whole thing is it the Stormwatch Volume 2 hardcover, which has been you know pushed back to next summer actually comes before this these stories so you know uh, that's just a weird decision and and i um they did mention it here later uh because we got some really advanced solicits and i was hoping that they were fighting to get the uh, wildcats aliens uh book added in but it doesn't seem to be the case so you know we've done all the work for them all they have to do is hit our wiki and it tells them the timeline and everything so do they not have any (laughs) editors out there yeah i don't think it's that obviously you know with the aliens being in there they would have to get permission from dark horse so i have no even just the timing of the book releases that's oh (laughs) yeah because everybody (laughs) well we know the old wildstorm editorial crew checked out our wiki they confirmed that so but i'm pretty sure the new ones care less (laughs) (laughs) so the next thing we got is we got a super advanced look at trades coming out next summer um in may we get grifter volume two which is titled newfound power which collects number zero and number nine through 16 and then we get uh ravagers volume one called The Kids from Nowhere, which collects number 0 through 7, which I thought was kind of odd, because 7 is the one we're reviewing tonight, and it doesn't really have an ending, at least not that that I could tell. No, it doesn't. (laughs) But that's not the first... um, I wouldn't be surprised if that was incorrect, because as as I go along, you'll see there's some other incorrect things (laughs) with these solicits. (laughs) And why they have the disclaimer at DC, it says, you know, all these... Releases are subject to change, blah, blah, blah. So. Because in June, we get uh, Deathstroke Volume 2, which is called Lobo Hunt, which collects number 0 and number 9 through 14, which, of course, is where Zella debuted. And um, I think 14, wasn't that the one we just did, where uh, he fought Deadborn or whatever? <laughs> yeah, Lobo was only a couple issues, so that's an odd title. And the Grifter title... Oh, don't get me started. <laughs> <laughs> I know you're just wondering if it's actually going to get sold. Hey, let me put it to you this way. If the Voodoo one can come out, which got canceled first, this one can surely come out. So. <laughs> no, I know, but just the whole, <laughs> ah, newfound power, please. 
And um, why didn't they call it train wreck of the century? <laughs> oh my goodness! <laughs> Do continue. Yes. <laughs> I'm trying to bite my tongue. <laughs> anyway, those we were talking about earlier, the Stormwatch. You know, we get we get double Stormwatch as we get the soft cover release for the volume one from earlier this year that collected Warren Ellis's number 37 to 47. And then the one that we just mentioned, the volume two hardcover, which says it collects number 48 to 49. And for whatever reason, doesn't mention 50 <laughs> and then skips to the second volume of the original Stormwatch series, which collects one through 11. So I'm hoping that that is a typo because <laughs> that's the change or die storyline. <laughs> You can't leave out the end of that. <laughs> and there's no reason to, because I flipped through my old trade, and I was like, is there something in here that you know would cause them to leave it out? No, nope, I didn't see anything. So, Hey, I saw this morning that there's a lot of open editorial positions in D.C., so you might want to apply, because apparently nobody up there can do it. <laughs> <laughs> Are you serious? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> wow. That's kind of scary. That's just uh, like I like we like we said during the the Dave uh, Beatty interview. Just Beatty. to let him do it. Obviously, he cares. So <laughs> yeah. Um, then in July we get uh, the first Team Seven volume, which is called Fight Fire with Fire, which collects number zero to seven. Which uh, we don't even have the solicit for seven yet, do we? <laughs> so so we'll see how far that takes it. That's obviously dealing with the. Uh, uh, Spartan and Lady Tron that we were just talking about. And then we get uh, Superman Volume 2 Secrets and Lies hardcover, which collects number 7 through 12, and the infamous Superman Annual number 1, <laughs> which that trade has a total of three Hellspot appearances. So <laughs> uh, I might actually pick that up. I understand them releasing hardcovers of old stuff, but I don't understand a hardcover of something that's that new. Like, usually when they trade something, it's soft cover. It's their better-selling titles that are getting the hardcover first. That's what I've noticed. Even though Superman was questionable there for a while, he's still one of their top sellers, so... I guess. <laughs> because, like, this next one, Legion Lost Volume 2, which is subtitled The Culling, uh, you know, it's a soft cover. It collects number zero and number eight through sixteen, which is basically the end of that series. You know, because that that one's ending. A quick side note: there's a, I think the second volume of Teen Titans is called the same thing, even though it really has nothing to do with that. Uh, the culling, so that's weird that both those trades are called that. So, and then finally we get the Savage Hawkman Volume Two, which is called Wanted, which collects numbers zero to fourteen, which of course is the debut of Pike, and he continues on into the Hawkman One storyline. Is is that right? Because Volume Two starting at number zero. Oh yeah, the zero issue. Yeah. Oh yeah, I guess I I wrote it wrong. Whatever, wherever Liefeld started, what was it eight, nine, or somewhere? Something like that. And last, but certainly not least, we got more good news from the Heroclix front. Uh, we'll be seeing Gen 13 Heroclix sometime in the new feature. And uh, WizKids released an image with a bunch of preview figures, which include the prototype figures for all five of the original Gen 13 kids. And then later, a friend of mine showed me that they had actually showed the, the full color version 
and apparently we missed this back in October is when they announced it. But I looked back and I saw whites because the, the article mentioned the Teen Titans. And the only way you would have seen Gen 13 is if you would have clicked on an article and read it. So I think that's why I missed it. I have a feeling somebody just saw my video review and they were like, wow, we better get these things out. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, they're creating a new uh, system and everything just for them. <laughs> so... I'm serious. Well, it's not just for them, but all of them get one. <laughs> hey, that's awesome, Mom. Yeah, it's I'm called the it's called like the team. I forgot what it's called. Team battle ability or something where they all get to fight together. So, okay, which which book do you want next? You want the authority? Oh, that's what that's what uh, people at Clark's Bar are thinking that uh, Stormwatch is on its way out and that they're setting up the authority. So, so we'll see. And that that would have definitely yield some HeroClix figures. <laughs> That'd be awesome. But anyway, so. That was a mouthful of news, so I'll let Ben go into the first review. <laughs> it really was. First up, we have Stormwatch number 15, released on December 5th, written by Peter Milligan with art by Will Conrad and Cliff Richards, and cover by Will Conrad. All right, let's dive into it. We open up on Eye of the Storm in hyperspace, and basically we pick up where we were last time, and who we know of with the... Uh, shadow lord that is well not really a shadow lord but the eminence of blades harry tanner so i don't know why we know that but everybody else does it seems pretty apparent to the reader oh wait but i think midnighter also catches on pretty quickly here because he doesn't seem to believe this uh shadow lord as well like you said last month is the hair uh, that should be a dead, dead giveaway right there so it, it really should be um <laughs> So right away, uh, this Shadow Lord, I, I don't know what to call this faux Shadow Lord. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, it's Harry Tanner. <laughs> um, basically, he already, you know, is talking to Stormwatch. I almost said the authority. And he's just telling them that they need to rid the, the Earth of all of the uh, superheroes that have cropped up. So he talks about Superman and Batman and Green Lantern. And, and all the others, they as, as long as they take those three down, the rest will tumble with them. That's that's where we start off. Um, him kind of pulling the wool over everybody's eyes, except for Midnighter here. He is the uh, the king of lies here. And then Midnighter's kind of you know calling his bluff a little bit, and he's like, uh, "You got anything to say over there, Midnighter?" From there, we head on over to Antarctica, where where Emma is, and Emma Rice, and she's the projectionist, and she's freezing her butt off because she got left out there. And finally, somebody opens the door for her before she you know, picks up hypothermia and dies, and she's plopped right onto the deck as well with everybody else, including Harry Tanner. And it's really three pages in that Midnighter's like, you know, speaking to himself, and he's like, hmm. The way that he moves and, and gestures reminds me of a boxer or a swordsman. So Midnighter picks up pretty quickly on, on the ruse that he's pulling off. And right away, Engineer you know, grabs up Emma and, and starts choking her and tries to get information out of, out of her for about Harry Tanner, basically. And she's like, um, I don't know what you're talking about. You know, your ex-boyfriend's dead. He uh, he blew up when the headquarters blew up. 
I'm having a hard time with this issue, Joe. I, I apologize. This this issue to me, I, I understand what Peter's doing. It's just, it's hard because as a reader, we know all the information. And it's a struggle to me because it just, like, I understand that he is, you know, Harry Tanner is one of his biggest assets other than being the eminence of blades and, and a master swordsman is, you know, his ability to lie and be one of the best liars in the world. But, ah, uh, it's just, it's a tough pill to swallow that these intelligent super beings can just, on a dime, just believe him so quickly. You know, uh, especially Engineer with all the information available to her fingertips and and Hawksmore and, you know, the only one that that doesn't quite believe him so much is Midnighter. And of course, you know, as we see pretty quickly here after uh, Angie's done interrogating, his engineer decides to jack into the projectionist brain. And what she sees is, you know, Harry getting blown up in the facility in Antarctica. But before, you know, she cuts away from that memory that she extracts from the projectionist, she sees another memory of Harry, and it's uh, Midnighter and him shaking hands. And, you know, they kind of take that out of context. Like, uh, you know, it was really the whole the whole thing that happened between you know Harry and Emma and everything had everything to do with Midnighter. <laughs> and Midnighter's like, this doesn't make any sense. And we get to see that scene directly um, of Midnighter basically betraying all of Stormwatch. Now, obviously this was a planted memory because we can tell that into Emma. And I don't know that, you know, the projectionist herself even believes it, but that's what's shown to them on the monitors that, you know, Angie's able to project up onto the screens for everybody to see. And immediately Apollo just kind of freaks out and starts going after Midnighter talk about a lover's quarrel so quick um but that's what i mean like they're just they're they're taking this information and just like making snap judgments and just believing everything that they're seeing and i just i'm having a hard time with that (laughs) well i mean yeah because some of the people at clark's bar talked about the same thing but it basically is like you know and and i think i think this this deserves a little quick discussion before you continue because basically we're just about to get into the lover's quarrel, like you said. So, <laughs> um, it just depends, you know, on what is the extent of Harry Tanner's power as far as lying, you know. Because somebody early on, when Stormwatch started, you know, they were like, "Well, Adam One is supposed to be the first man, so is he supposed to be Adam, like the biblical Adam, you know?" And if that's true, then why do they call Harry Tanner the Prince of Lies? You know, if you're going to go with the biblical theme, then that makes him, you know, Satan, and basically. You know, how do you know Satan's lying? Well, every time his mouth is open, he's lying. You know, <laughs> it's kind of that that idea. So, so it seems that everything that Harry does is by his words. So basically, if he's talking, he can convince you of anything. Is what it seems like to me. So the it makes sense that that Midnighter was not so much listening to what he was saying, but watching him. You know, because that goes with Midnighter's powers, and so. That's the only thing I I saw in this as to why I could accept that because if that's truly is Harry's power, then 
then he's basically fooled everyone, and he would have fooled Midnighter had it not been for Midnighter's power that kind of gets around that. You see what I'm saying? Okay, I can buy that logic. You know, first first pass through. Yeah, it doesn't. It just seems a little crazy to me, but no, that that makes sense. So, anyways, going back into it, uh, Apollo obviously always the hothead. You know, takes off after Midnighter and. They're so eloquent with their words going back and forth and just, you know, this really tears tears me apart. It breaks my heart <laughs> <laughs> watching men scuffle like this. Um, the only good thing to think about is that, that wonderful uh, Valentine's Day uh, issue we're going to get where hopefully they'll make up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But it's interesting, you know, while they're fighting here, even the engineer who who starts to get into it, it a little bit even uh, calls out Midnighter for poisoning Harry's mind, which I found quite interesting. Um, and she, I guess, second guesses herself and says, I should have never let a psychopath like you into the into Stormwatch, which obviously Midnighter doesn't deny being a psychopath at all. <laughs> so he breaks one of uh, Engineer's tendrils off and immediately turns around and grabs Emma or the projectionist up and uh calls a door and and takes her out into uh Antarctic again and everybody follows right behind them or yeah right behind them too and nobody's there and here's where I find another interesting thing that I think possibly and you're going to have to correct me if I'm wrong but changes the way that we've ever thought about the doors and how that system works. Because in my mind, I thought it was always a fixed door. Whenever a door is called and it's still open, it stays in that position, whether on Earth or elsewhere. But what we see here is Midnighter and and uh, the projectionist go through the door, and immediately the engineer and Harry Tanner as the Shadow Lord passed right through it as well, um, right after them. I mean, literally on Midnighter's heels. And... Right away, they're not there. Emma and Midnighter are gone. And Angie explains it. I'm sorry, I should say the engineer because she's, she's clearly not the Angie that we love in Wildstorm because they've changed her personality so much. So I should say the engineer um, said that the teleporter door coordinates uh, have been shifted by the rotation of the world. Now, does that make any sense to you from what we understood the door technology? Like, that's the first time even in this incarnation of you know that technology that it would have shifted just because the world has turned and that the coordinates have shifted because of that yeah no i didn't even think about that but yeah now that you said that no because i understood it to be just like what you said if it was fixed it was fixed you know so so technically they should have come out right behind them and i don't know if that was just milligan's way to just hurry up and get them out of the way you know because especially with especially with Harry Tanner coming after him, you know, it's like with the Shadow Lord style powers, they had no chance. So that's the only thing I can think of. Because really, when you think back, if that's the case, you'd really have to go back and look if there was a time when when anybody tried to follow somebody else in a door. Because I mean, just out of memory, I don't think so. Even when they fought Etrigan, they all came through multiple doors at the same time so you know if they're going to establish that this is the way these doors work well 
I guess so be it. <laughs> I guess we're picking nits, but <laughs> I know that there's been multiple pass-throughs, one door, and it not have moved, but hey, I, I could be wrong. I know that there's been doors closed on people, and people have been chopped in half, and that's epic. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but anyways, going going past that, um, we do get to see a little bit of Hawksmoor here, who is totally, now that I think about it, been and I know I've mentioned it before, completely underutilized in this title, I think. I, I hope they bring him back up in a big bad way soon. Um, but he, he he's sitting there pondering after everybody kind of left him, and the scuffle has died down on the eye of the storm, obviously, and he's like, what the heck is going on with this girl, Emma? Like, she's constantly being abducted, and it almost seems like she wants to be abducted. So I don't know if that has any truth to it. Oh, I thought it was hilarious that Milligan addressed that right away, because that's exactly <laughs> what I thought when Midnighter grabbed her. I'm like, oh, no, not her of all people. <laughs> <laughs> but anyways, they're having a lovely uh, conversation in balmy Antarctica. And <laughs> um, is this where we have a, a an artist changeover a little bit? Because it, it looks yeah. a little bit different here. And it's not drastic. Let me tell you that. It, it actually fits quite well, so it's okay. Um, anyways, uh, you know, Midnighter's talking to her and just like, I, I don't believe that memory of yours. What's going on? What are you doing? And, and basically the projectionist is like, hey, I think you're capable of anything. So who's who's to know, really? As they're about to die because they're freezing to death. Uh, somebody in a local station on Antarctica, a science station really, uh, picks them up and, and takes them so that they can get some shelter. And then we flip over into outer space and, uh, well, I guess space. Space is outer. I don't know why people say that. Anyways, <laughs> Apollo is <laughs> heading towards the sun to, you know, what he explains soon, power up. But that's what I assumed he was doing anyway. And he runs across Jenny Quantum, who's kind of, you know, sitting Indian style, just kind of floating out in front of the sun, you know, and she's like, uh, what are you doing? That'd be pretty stupid to kill yourself. And I didn't get that impression at all. I don't know if you did, but, uh, he's like, no, I'm powering up so I can go beat the crap out of Midnighter basically. So I think this is the closest I've seen him get to the sun to power up, but he's, uh, that was just a quick scene right there. I, I don't know how important that was. It seemed odd to me that she would even think that. Uh, but then we go back to the Antarctic, and now they have parkas, so that's good. I, you know, Midnighter looks quite fashionable in that hoodie. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> At least he's not poking a hole through it with his chin spike. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, they're... Uh, He's marching her about to try to find uh, Harry's hideout so he can glean some information and prove his innocence, I guess. And here's where the engineer and Harry Tanner, the faux shadow lord, show up at the uh, scientist's uh, station. And you know, the, the guy that found Midnighter and Emma uh, speaks up first and is like, yeah, uh, we saw them, I guess. Uh does it really matter? And, and, you know, one of them mentions that, you know, they were looking for Harry Tanner and they actually say his name. And he's like, no, I have everything I need. And then he fries them. And I don't think anybody saw him do that. I think he was by himself at that point. Cause the next uh, scene we see the engineer come through a door 
and then Jenny and Apollo's there, and then uh, Harry Tanner as the foe. Uh, Shadow Lord explains uh, what happened, and he shows them the scene um, of that science center and all the crispy bodies that were left behind, uh, torn to bits and pieces. And you see Apollo's uh, shocked face as uh, Harry uh, tells them that it was a midnighter going crazy and uh, basically uh, mass murdering all these people. And that's how this issue ends with the next uh, saying that they're going to kill Midnighter. So as we continue uh, the de-Midnighterization of the uh, Wildstorm introductions into the DCU. <laughs> but all is not lost if you look at any solicits. Because <laughs> uh, he doesn't technically go away. <laughs> yeah, and he landed a punch on Apollo, so... That, or, yeah. <laughs> so apparently he can still at least, you know, hit a, a Superman-level <laughs> character, even though he keeps getting beat by people like Grifter. <laughs> That's a good point. But hey, Apollo's still young with his power, so. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it's interesting that you talked about some of that stuff, because that's exactly what, what I was seeing online, that the people were just not believing that uh, Stormwatch was falling for this. And like I said, that's that's my only thing, that, that if, if Harry Tanner, if that's his power, is to, to basically you know, lie and, and make you believe and whatever. I mean, obviously there's no explanation of how it works, and but it seems to be he has to tell you. He has to be talking to you. Um, so if you didn't have Midnighter on the team, who's somebody who, you know, can do what he can do with his powers, you know, technically Harry could, could lie to, to them forever, and you would never know. So, yeah, so that didn't bother me at all. So Lucifer has been in Demon Knights for quite some time. Do you believe that this may be in you know a, a form of Lucifer himself? I don't know. Pro- I would say probably not because it doesn't. Because isn't Lucifer in modern day, or have they not established that? No, they haven't established that. Oh uh, well, then maybe I don't know. I mean, it'd be very interesting if that's where they're going to go with that. But um, I guess it just depends because. Uh, Etrigan, you know, he's he's here in modern day now, but where he's going to show up next, I don't know, maybe DC Universe Presents or something, or maybe he'll head over to, uh, was it Justice League Dark, or now that Constantine's going to get his own title, I mean, there's there's a whole little niche, you know, in the modern DC, you know, where, where you could have some supernatural stuff going on, so it'd be interesting to see what they do with that. No, I, I mean, I'm not saying I didn't like the issue. I liked the issue. I just, I had a hard time buying it, just like everybody else that was, you know, talking about it online. Um, I just found it interesting that this is Harry's big play to break break the group apart, which, you know, the team hasn't really been that great tight of a team anyway. So, especially since Manhunter has left and, um, you know, the engineer's been running things. So I guess maybe it's slim pickings and it's fairly easy for Harry to just pick on one person and hope that everybody goes after them. So I guess I could buy that as well. We'll see where it goes from here. I I know I saw some of the solicits and I wish I hadn't, but uh, definitely still the strongest title. So I'm glad that we have it. You said you wish you hadn't seen the solicits? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> is this a whole other discussion or can I ask why? <laughs> no, no, just because it spoils some of the some of the ride. Oh. 
I mean, I, I guess it just—it just still seems to be like you said that Midnighter and Apollo are still there, and, and Engineer. But they kind of don't mention Jenny or um, Jack Hawksmore, and somebody's supposed to die. So, well, that's what I'm saying. That's why I'm like, <laughs> uh, it just kind of narrows it down. You don't know who it's going to be. <laughs> yeah. All right, let's move on to the next one. Oh. <laughs> <turn> <laughs> <laughs> All right, so the next one is Grifter number 15, which was released on December 12th, uh, written by Frank Terry and with art by Marat Michaels. Uh, Dave told, taught us how to say that. <laughs> and cover by Scott Clark. And um, so this is the first issue that Frank Terry had by himself, so there is no Rob Liefeld influence here. Maybe some lingerings of it, <laughs> but no direct you know, work from him. So, well, there are some lingerings of it because there that is an epic cover, and you do see some floating guns, including a floating Gatling gun. <laughs> but other Which than I that, <laughs> um, I just strongly encourage anybody that hasn't read this issue yet, um, just don't turn past that cover because it's it's beautiful. And then once you do, you're you're gonna puke or something. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> well, I didn't have such a strong reaction to the issue like you did because, because maybe it's kind of one of those because it's been so bad that uh, this this one wasn't as bad. Kind of like the Star Wars prequels. Like after you saw Episode One, you're like, okay, two's not so bad, three's not as bad as two. You know? Oh, see, I so. I guess I was going the other way, and you know, as as the snowball rolls down the hill, it just keeps getting bigger and bigger and bigger. <laughs> <laughs> no, this one started big already. <laughs> a few issues back. <laughs> anyway, it starts off in the past, six years ago, which um, is interesting to begin with because this is actually before. Team Seven, so it's actually before the Justice League shows up. But Amanda Waller is being told to um, to bring a a VIP, a girl uh, who is a daughter of a uh, of a government official who is going to join the Resistance, which we know is the same group that uh, Deathblow and um, Sheshire were a part of when they first encountered Grifter, and um, so apparently. Amanda Waller is supposed to infiltrate the resistance and um, and try to get her, get this girl back. And um, it's interesting here because they basically portray the the resistance like as a like a cult. Basically, uh, they show up and they're given pamphlets, you know, telling them about aliens trying to take over the world and what they can do to help and so on and so forth. So that 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 already was interesting, you know, because to when when we originally saw Deathblow and Cheshire, it was just like, okay, it's, I guess it's just a group of people, you know, with powers or whatever that have come together and to fight the Daemonites. But no, it's a, uh, it's almost like a timeshare. It looks like <laughs> so, <laughs> you too can uh, enjoy some beachfront time while fighting the Daemonites. So, and then we fast forward to now, which uh, picks up from last issue where Grifter, where the Eye of the Storm had teleported Grifter into. Uh, into Belle Reve Penitentiary, which is also the sec- the secret base of the Suicide Squad, and so he's uh, trying to run away, and uh, and Deadshot nicks his ear, <laughs> which I thought was mean, <laughs> and uh, he has Deadshot chasing him, and um, and Harley Quinn, and I forgot the dude with the fire's name. His he, his comes up later. 
Um, I forget his name too. But here's where we where we start the uh, the then and now um, switching, which um, which normally would get annoying, but it was actually I actually didn't mind the way they were doing it here because as soon as we get away from him being shot at, we go back to the past and she um, Amanda Waller meets Kelly is the name of the girl and um, you know they're in the middle of a, a resistance meeting where they're being shown footage of the Damonites and told what they are and why we're against them and so on and so forth and and uh, Amanda you know tries to befriend the girl and they uh, end up talking about you know the fact that uh, Kelly doesn't like this place and she's actually suggesting to Amanda that she leave now before she gets in too deep and just then two of the uh, the resistance bouncers as I call them <laughs> show up <laughs> and escort the ladies out of the uh, the uh, film that they were viewing and then we go back to present where um, Grifter has found a way to hide from the squad temporarily but then he uh, decides to shoot uh, the dude with the uh, firepower. Where is it? I know it's coming in. Diablo, that's his name. I was like, I know it's coming here somewhere. <laughs> and um, so after that, uh, Deadshot tries to take out Grifter, and Grifter uses his TK to send a bullet back at Deadshot, and Harley Quinn shows up with one of her ridiculously large hammers and tries to hit Grifter, and he again uses his power to make her instead hit Deadshot and and then, you know, Diablo tries to use his powers and Grifter makes him burn up Deadshot and then he uses his powers again and knocks them all off balance. So you think that Grifter's gonna get the upper hand and all of a sudden he's uh, uh <laughs> I say this <laughs> King Shark bites Grifter, <laughs> just takes up up into a mouthful, basically. And then uh, I guess Grifter doesn't taste very well because King Shark spits him out right after. And uh, so then the um, Suicide Squad converges on him and they literally just start beating him in the middle of the hall. <laughs> and so as Grifter blacks out from the beating, we go back to the past and uh, the two uh, bouncers are taking Amanda and Kelly out, and Amanda is, you know, because of her training, is able to take out the the guards pretty quick, and and uh, so she uh, she tells Kelly the truth about who she is and what she's doing, and that she's going to get her out of there, and uh, before she can take Kelly and escape, some mystery figure grabs Amanda, and apparently Amanda recognizes this person, and then uh, we go back to the present. <laughs> and so Grifter is tied up and shirtless, and... <laughs> <laughs> That's okay, because Amanda's pantless here in a few panels. <laughs> Do what now? <laughs> oh, you mean because of the color? <laughs> yes. <laughs> wow. <laughs> It's like this is why you should have worn white pants today to work. Uh-huh. <laughs> That's pretty bad. <laughs> but um she's cheeky. <laughs> I didn't know she was British. <laughs> I did enjoy the fact that Grifter uh 
kind of put a joke in there about her weight, asking if she'd lost weight, you know, because I know that we talked about before, that's one of the things that people complained about, that the New 52 Amanda Waller is skinny and that, you know, she was always known for being a, you know, a bigger lady and that was like one of her characteristics in the old DCU. But uh, she's trying to get some info from Grifter of why he's there and and uh, so she uh, tells the Suicide Squad to leave. And um, when it's just her and Grifter, she shares with him some information about Warwick, his uh, new friend. As she's sharing it, we go back to the past and see that it was Warwick that stopped her and that he uh, he believes that that what they're doing with the resistance is going to help because he, you know, he just wants to tell people about the Daemonites and basically tells her, you know, you're free to leave if you want. We're not going to hold you against your will. And so she does, but then, uh, back in the present, Amanda's basically telling Grifter that, that Warwick is, is nothing but a, nothing but a cult leader. And that, um, she even asked, you know, did he did he mention a chosen one? <laughs> so I guess, um, I guess, I mean, it was it was a little bit unclear, uh, but I assume that maybe Warwick does this to a lot of people, <laughs> always telling them that they're the chosen one just to get them in. I don't know. That's kind of what I got. It it, uh, but basically the gist of it was is that Warwick is lying to Grifter is what Amanda's trying to tell tell him. They don't really say it, but I, I kind of assumed the fact that the only reason Grifter believes her is that she really has no stake in any of this. So for her to lie about this really doesn't benefit her in any way. So that's the only reason that I would assume that he'd believe her so quickly. So then apparently Grifter gets ready to go after Warwick next issue. So I guess it's kind of good that we did get a number 16 because it would have sucked to just end with this issue. <laughs> or worse yet, try to tie everything up in this issue. You mean Grifter was grifted? I know, right? <laughs> and that's why Deathstroke's going to put him out of his misery. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, not definitely not nowhere as horrible as some of the issues we've been getting. you know. And it was interesting that Frank Thierry is trying, it seems that he's trying to make sense of all this before the end. So I guess the uh, the true test will be next month and see what happens with all of this. Um, dare I ask, what did you think, Ben? <laughs> I I mean, I, I, I can't point out some of the terrible art. It was just... I, I really want Sammy Bosry back, but what's the point? Uh, uh, yeah, I I think I've said my piece on this title many moons ago. So let's just move on, please. All right. <laughs> uh, next, we have Ravagers number seven, released on December 12th, written by Howard Mackey and art by Eduardo Pancis. Wow. Pancisca? Daniel... Yes. <laughs> Had hater and what? Yeah, I'm not sure how to say that one either. <laughs> <laughs> and Geraldo Borg, Borges. Oh man, <laughs> <laughs> let's do an easy one. And Ian Churchill, and cover by Ian Churchill. Yeah, 
this issue was an artist party. <laughs> yeah, it really was. And considering what went on in Grifter, not bad. Not complaining. Even though there was a lot of people with their hands in it. Um, this issue was a lot different than what we've been getting in Ravagers. And if I can find this girl's name real quick, that would be useful. Oh, the one who's uh, narrating everything? Yes. Uh, her name Lisa. would be... <laughs> so, immediately we are introduced uh, to the character. Her name's Lisa, and she's hiding behind a tree. And basically, she's looking at uh, Bright Eyes and Windshear. Well, she was talking about Bright Eyes and Windshear, and... She's what she's staring at though is the fight between Warblade and Rose Wilson and all of the Ravagers. And uh, you know, she talks about her mother a little bit and and how, you know, she shouldn't be using her powers or letting anybody know about her powers. Now, obviously the Ravagers were going out to save this girl from uh Rose Wilson and uh, Warblade because uh, Harvest would obviously want to snag up this Lisa uh, because of her powers and now I'm going to try to explain her powers she has the ability to uh, see the future basically she is uh, yeah that's pretty much it right <laughs> in, a, in a nutshell yeah yeah, yeah or versions the, of the future um, yeah that's what I was going to say she can see multiple yes um, so Basically, as this one starts, um, you know, everybody's fighting uh, Rose Wilson and Warblade, and even Superboy's still in this issue. I guess what's slightly confusing is if you're reading Legion Lost at the same time as the Ravagers, because they're kind of set in two different time periods. Because Legion Lost is finishing up, and, you know, Ravagers is still kind of continuing on. Are we assuming... this is This is after the events of legion lost is that yeah legion lost number 14 last month actually said this takes place after ravagers number seven which hadn't come out yet <laughs> so so they at least recognize that <laughs> and then when you read issue number 15 of legion lost you're like well now what the heck <laughs> Cause, cause <laughs> i literally read legion lost 15 and then stepped over to ravagers number seven and i'm like ah i already am screwed up but knowing one is after the other but oh well I can't even follow a teen book, let alone a big people book like Grifter. <laughs> <laughs> Somebody knocks, uh, I think it's actually Rose Wilson, uh, knocks Fairchild back, and Fairchild's close enough to uh, Lisa hiding behind the tree that Lisa uh, is able to sneak up behind Fairchild as she's slightly unconscious, and put her hands on Fairchild and give Fairchild one of Lisa's uh, visions of the future. And what she sees is Warblade killing Ridge and Rose Wilson stabbing Superboy through the heart and killing him. Then Rose Wilson picks up Fairchild and, and Fairchild's really freaked out about everything that happened. And then she sees or projects into Fairchild's mind a vision of the entire future with all the baddies from Harvest, all the other Ravagers, including some uh, that must have turned after this point, because we see Terra and Beast Boy, and we see Ridge's head on a pike, and kind of interesting who they chose to to show in this uh, montage. And Kevin. 
<laughs> Remember Kevin? <laughs> Wasn't that his name? The one I <laughs> yeah, yeah the, <laughs> the Cyclops. Yes, that's funny. <laughs> and then even a vision of Rose Wilson stabbing uh, Niles through the heart, well, through the back, really, and uh, some crazy green wolf, which it could be Beast Boy, but he's not red, so that's confusing. Um, chewing on uh, Bunker's chest, and he's all bloody and and everything. And then uh, I guess Terra knocking down all the cities that they held precious, and you know, and and basically, you know, Caitlin's at on her knees in front of everybody, and and the vision that she's seeing, and you can even see Superboy in the back, and Rose has has her sword up to Caitlin's throat, and this is when Caitlin wakes up uh, from Lisa's vision. And she's totally freaked out by it. And she's like, what the heck happened? And Lisa tries to explain really quickly um, that she showed her a a possible future uh, that could happen. And it's up to to Fairchild to choose the right path so that 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 vision of the future doesn't happen. This is, I I feel like I'm reading a Wildstorm Armageddon all of a sudden here. (laughs) Yeah, that's true. (laughs) And, uh, you know, she, I, I guess that's all really all the information that she gives to her and, you know, the fighting continues around her and Caitlin decides to choose Tara to go after and to do something about what's going on around them. And, and you know, she, she tries to give her a pep talk and it seems to go the wrong way, I guess, because Tara takes it to heart and not in a positive way and she decides to seek revenge and she seems to blow up everything around i I mean she's it almost looks like she's on fire i've never kind of seen this power from her before and uh she's you know moving earth all around them and knocking people off their feet and kind of taking things well out of control really and if she has this amount of power, I'm I'm kind of surprised that she hasn't shown it before because you know, they weren't kind of doing anything in the fight until then. As this continues, uh, Rose Wilson and Warblade are kind of knocked out, and you know Beast Boy is kind of like, okay, you can settle down now. You know we got them; they're they're incapacitated, and and Tara's like, no discussion, and she sends a uh well i guess she grows a spike out of the ground and it goes through warblade's chest who was unconscious and he you know gasps and and beast boy's like whoa what are you doing and there's like we should all just accept what they did to us what they turned us into you know embrace what they did to us and and you know we flip over to warblade and he starts laughing and he's like Thank you, you know, now you're officially a Ravenger, Terra, because you gave in to, to uh, your power and, and everything that we did to to you guys. And, and she can't believe that, well, I guess Fairchild can't believe that Warblade's alive. And Warblade's like, um, you see what I can do with my body, right? I think I can, you know, move my internal organs around. At least that's how I read it, <laughs> if something goes through me. So he was kind of like, yeah, no big deal. And Tara's really ticked about that. And she's like, I'll tear you apart and I'll bury your body parts around the planet. <laughs> Which is, I, I guess, you know, 
Warblade's kind of like a zombie or a vampire and you know, has to be torn apart. And this is where Lisa speaks up and you know, her mom wouldn't be too proud of her right now because you know, she wants her to stay hidden. But she's like, no, this wasn't supposed to happen. You were supposed to help. And uh, she's yelling at Fairchild here. She's quite ticked off about it. And apparently Caitlin didn't say the right thing because, you know, Tara went the wrong way. And uh, Fairchild's like, well, show me what I'm supposed to do. And she's like, no, I can't. That was, you know, you have to decide because, you know, the futures aren't always going to stay the same and they're not, I don't know. It's just, you know, one of those uh, future things, I guess. And, uh, <laughs> She's just a kid anyway, so how is she supposed to explain to Fairchild what's going on? Warblade and Rose, I guess, flee at that point, and you know, Superboy points that out. And uh, you know, he asks Tara if she feels any different, and she's like, "Yeah, very. You know, something they did inside us has turned us very dangerous, and you know, we've known that since nowhere that these kids aren't you know to be messed with. You know, they're." They're screwed up in the head, and they have powers to back up that that messed up nature. And I guess from that, they're able to get back to uh, Niles' base rather quickly, because I thought that they were in New York or somewhere trying to find this Lisa chick, and they're able to get back to, where were they, California, I think? Uh, San Diego or something like that? And... <laughs> Yeah, from coast to coast. <laughs> yeah, and and you know they obviously don't have any door technology like uh, Stormwatch does. So I don't don't quite know how they're able to do that so quickly. Maybe a uh, Superboy flies them all. <laughs> um. Anyways, uh, you know Fairchild starts yelling at Niles and like you didn't tell me that she was a precog and and Niles is like, well, tell me what you saw. And she's like, you know, the kids are very dangerous. Uh, they can't be controlled. I didn't think, you know, she doesn't think that they can be controlled, but you know, Fairchild said that from the beginning. So nothing new there. Um, and I was, you know, figuring that they'll figure something out, I guess. And, uh, you know, as, as they're, uh, having that discussion, um, in their home base, you know, we finish with, uh, Deathstroke here, kind of watching the the whole thing that happened, the whole fight uh, between the Ravagers and uh, Rose Wilson and Warblade. So I guess that's pretty much how this issue wraps up with uh, Deathstroke showing up. And I guess we'll see uh, Rose and Warblade next. And I think the next issue actually revolves around them directly. I'm not sure how much of the Ravagers will actually see. I think it'll be more of a behind the scenes around Harvest more than anything. But uh, that's pretty much how this issue wraps up. It was a quick uh, two-issue arc where they went out to find this girl and back. And I don't, other than the change in Terra, I don't really understand um, the reason why they decided to do that, to move the story along other than, you know, teach us something that we already knew, which was, and I think even Caitlin knew that, which was she doesn't know that she can control any of these kids ever. Yeah. And now that I see this ending again, I can kind of see how, how the trade will end with this one. But one thing I didn't think about when I wrote the review for this is that, you know, there's the famous teen Titan story called the Judas contract where, uh, Tara did betray them and go with Deathstroke. So it'd be interesting if that's what they're trying to set up here again, because, 
most comic readers already know that that's what happened in the past. So is this going to be like a history repeats itself thing? You know, because Tara obviously showing she has a dark side. You know, so uh, when you were recapping everything, that's what came to mind. Do you know which story I'm talking about? No. It was like an old, I mean, like from the 80s. Uh, I want to say George Perez did it and maybe Marv Wolfman. I don't know. I, there's probably people out there who can correct me. I'm not, I, I was never a big old Teen Titans fan. So, um, but yeah, that's the just the story is that like for the longest time, Tara was with the Teen Titans and then, and I don't remember what her reasons were, but she betrayed them and sided with Deathstroke. And then I think she ends up dying after that. <laughs> Great, something to look forward to, I guess. No, no that's terrible. <laughs> but you got that possibility, and then, you know, Rose Wilson is Deathstroke's daughter, or at least she was in the old continuity, and you'd have to assume, since her last name is still Wilson, that she is still his daughter. So we'll see how they address that. So we got a lot of setup here for the future. Yeah, I guess so. But no, I see. I mean, I still like the issue, and yeah, I I, I cringed at first when I saw how many artists there. Were. I'm like, oh no! <laughs> but it's it's really not that bad considering. No, it really is not. I would have to give, I would really have to give props to the uh, to the colorist. I think because uh, he would be the only he's the only commonality between all of them, you know. So he would be the one to really keep it all uniform looking. Although it was smart that they changed artists in key moments, like when she shows for a child the vision of the future, you know, they change artists right there. So that's appropriate, you know, because you're changing settings. So, and then I guess the main thing was that, you know, that, that this was Howard writer, Howard Mackey's last issue and also Ian Churchill's last issue. And I mean, at least Howard Mackey got to write the whole thing, but Ian Churchill, he, all he did was the layouts for the first nine pages. It says, so that was kind of disappointing, but I just, I don't know if they're using him somewhere else or what, but a lot of them, uh, DC seems to be doing that, I guess, to keep everybody on schedule, because he does it, they do that to Will Conrad, too. You know, he's he's always, the last few issues, he has had another artist helping him. I, I don't know. I mean, as long as the, the art is not jarring, I guess I can deal with it, but when you have an artist that you really like... <laughs> You know, it kind of sucks that that they get interrupted. <laughs> you know, do, do you think Sammy was able? And I'm going to speak about video a little bit. Um, do you think Sammy Bosry was able to keep up um, with all his work just because they were planning the new Fifty Two so early in advance, and those were all first titles? Um, these are all you know second in the line and kind of came on probably a little bit it's possible thought. but it also comes down to the artist you know if an artist is, is is good and they're also quick then they can keep up with the monthly schedule but there's a lot of artists who are good who cannot keep up with a monthly schedule <laughs> yeah but what we've been seeing recently <laughs> grifter is some artists that are not the greatest they can't seem to keep up so i don't i don't understand that <laughs> But uh, yeah, yeah I, I mean that's that's the one thing here, and you know we're gonna get uh, Ig Guara coming on next on the Ravagers, and he did a few issues of Teen Titans while I was still reading it. So I mean he's he's a good artist. So I mean he's he's a a good choice for this, and um, since obviously he was doing Teen Titans, you know he's he's already done a, a Teen title, so so it should be a pretty easy transition for him. But. 
just still enjoying this title. I just kind of hope that the new writer next month uh, is able to gain some footing between him and an artist. <laughs> Hopefully he doesn't have to keep splitting between other, other artists, and we'll see where they go from here. Yeah, it seems like the next issue will just be kind of an interlude. Maybe some uh, pasts or tidbits that we'll learn about Rose and in Warblade. Oh, so real quick, speaking of Warblade, for some reason, I totally accept him as a villain now. <laughs> oh, no, I do too. I I think it's been one of the better uh, moves as far as Wildstorm introductions go. I totally bought it almost from the beginning. Yeah. You know, because somebody made an argument early on, well, that, that even in the old continuity, he used to be part of Cyberdata, which, you know, was an evil entity and he was controlled and so on and so forth. So you could make the argument that here he is still controlled. I don't know. Because if they ever do a Wildcats title, you know, this character is going to need some major redemption <laughs> for all the stuff that he's done. No, I don't think he'll have anything to do with that title at all if they decide to start it. Hmm. Which would be very interesting <laughs> if they choose to do that. But I guess we'll just have to wait and see. But uh, let's go ahead and move on to the last book, which is uh, Team 7, number 3, which was also released on December 12th. And it's written by Justin Jordan, with art by Julius Copes and cover by Tyler Kirkham. And the variant cover by Ivan Rice, which is um, what we were talking about earlier, which I actually didn't see this until it came out. Uh, I saw it at Comic Vine. But it shows um, a fair child and Deathstroke in Team 7, and then it shows an image of Caitlin Fairchild in the background with Deathstroke in his modern-day costume. So they're starting to promote the whole bridge, even though this issue doesn't do that, you know, it doesn't go to modern day, but it seems that they're starting to promote that whole bridge between the past and the present, so it'd be interesting. But the first thing i got to start off with before I even start talking about the issue is that this is an example because you know we had Julius Gopez doing last issue, and you know he's the one that did what works mutations. The inker is different in this issue, and to me, the inker made this look more like the wet works issue. Uh, did you notice that? No, no, I didn't notice that. Yeah, whole, whole uh, just kind of flip through issue two, and then flip through this issue, and they look totally different. I mean, at first you would think that it's a different artist. It's just one of those where, kind of like when Dave Beatty was talking about adding more detail, it's obvious that this inker adds more detail. <laughs> so I really appreciated that because, like I said before, I like Julius Gopas's art, and last issue just didn't seem like it at all. So we um, we open up here on uh, Sentinel Island, and uh, apparently the island create some sort of field where electronics are useless. So uh, Team 7 is rafting down a river and just using simple a simple boat, and then they have to scale a wall, and they find a, uh, a village uh, that has been decimated, it looks like, by mercenaries, because apparently they have both dead villagers and mercenaries strewn about. So the team... You know, obviously, is wondering what the heck happened. They're going around checking everything out, and um, we get a, a kind of funny uh, mention about Grifter's mask here because I remember asking Justin Jordan on Twitter if they were going to address 
why Grifter has his mask. And it's funny because it's just it's just very matter of fact. Because <laughs> basically, Grifter's like, you know, hey, if uh, if all our you know faces start ending up on the on the radar, I, I don't want my face to be one of them. So the mask keeps his uh, face hidden, and that's it. That's the explanation. <laughs> so I was like, okay, simple is good. But again, <laughs> I will go back to just the simple fact that. If that's why he puts the mask back on in issue one of Grifter, then I can buy that a lot better now, you know, because obviously he already had it. So rather than just randomly putting this thing together, because like we said before, he didn't justify it using it for the Daemonites, not recognizing him until later. So, um, hey, I just realized something. Uh, that same page where they talk about his um, his mask. Yeah. If you look at the panel where uh, where Deathstroke says "well," and then uh, Amanda Waller says, "Well, the Mercs mostly from the looks of them," blah blah blah. The Merc that she's the dead Merc she's checking out for those uh, GI Joe fans that looks like Flint from GI Joe. <laughs> Is the tattoo and everything? No, no, no. The tattoo apparently has to do with Gamora, but it looks like he's got the beret and just yeah. the color scheme. <laughs> I don't know if that's intentional, but I just realized that. I'm like, oh my god, it's dead Flint. They killed Flint. No, apparently the the tattoo it's it's a basilisk and apparently that means Gamora, so So I guess uh as we will find out soon here in the issue, Gamora wasn't totally written out like we thought it was last issue since they talked about going there and then they totally did a one eighty and decided to go to Sentinel Island instead, so <laughs> what? <laughs> I was going to be really upset about that, but I'm really glad I got to see that. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Cuz uh apparently all the mercenaries that are dead here are are Gamoran mercenaries, so which means that uh, you might get your cybernary eventually. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um but yeah, uh, they find a native who's uh still partially alive and they kind of do this cool thing where obviously he doesn't know English, so he's trying to tell them that they need to leave, and and they don't understand what he's saying. And then uh, the character Essence shows up, and she basically tells them that uh, he's telling that that the native is telling them all to leave. But apparently, she's only talking to uh, to Deathstroke because nobody else can see her except for him, because he starts shooting at her, <laughs> which uh, which was kind of funny, but. It, totally with his character, you know, shoot first, ask questions later. And uh, everybody around him starts shooting just because he starts shooting. Yeah. And then that's when you realize that only he can see her. Yes, so they're essentially shooting at nothing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Reminded me of the old Predator scene. <laughs> like, we hit nothing. <laughs> Did Fairchild's uh, hair grow shorter since we first started this book? Because <laughs> I didn't I didn't realize that that was him at first. <laughs> it's possible. Maybe he got a haircut before they uh, landed on the island. <laughs> and this is one of those things. I'm like, who is that? I'm like, oh, it's Fairchild. Yeah, I love that he's the one that uh, is asking Slade, who are you talking to? <laughs> and I like the way that Deathstroke handles this right away. It's basically telling Essence, okay, I get what you're doing, so it's either like you let them know that you're here, or I'm just going to ignore your ghostly ass and get on with the mission. <laughs> <laughs> so that was pretty funny that, you know, they didn't drag that out, that he did exactly, you know, what you would expect him to do. 
Speaking of uh, Fairchild's hair getting a little shorter, if you notice in that uh, one panel where they're all kind of shooting at nothing, um, I think the colorist is starting to address that because now they're a little Power Ranger motif. Everybody has slightly different color armor, and they fixed Grifter at the same time last issue, I think. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I know somebody mentioned that about that, uh, you know, it's supposed to be a stealthy team and everybody has gone Power Ranger here, but. <laughs> I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> so, um, somebody mentioned that, oh, one of my friends was like, you know, talking about just the the New 52 in general and that some of the characters that have titles, you know, we don't care about, blah, blah, blah. And one of them that he brought up was Deathstroke. He's like, why is there a Deathstroke title? It's like, I don't care about him. And, you know, the funny thing is, <clears throat> I have actually found him kind of interesting. Um, I was tempted to pick up the number 15 issue because Justin Jordan started writing it. And somebody mentioned online that somehow uh, Jordan kind of tied it in to this. I uh, wasn't real clear how, but but uh, but that is a good thing that, that he's writing that. Because so, Deathstroke is interesting here to me so far, and, and even in the in the later issues, I mean the the modern day issues because he, I mean, he's, he's a villain, but uh, I'm curious to see what, what sends him that way, you know, cause we see a little bit of that in some of the, like the, that messy zero issue we got and all that, <laughs> but oh. I, I'm just curious to see, to see what turns him basically. So, so I'm, I'm enjoying that here so far. And I know that, uh, like we saw that later on with Justin Jordan still writing the, uh, Deathstroke, you know, we're going to see Ravage and stuff, so I'll get to read more about him. So then we uh, fast forward to some of the surviving Gamoran mercenaries have captured a couple of natives, and um, apparently they're having them take them to what they keep referring to as the heart of hell. And um, they are attacked by these ghost entities that they refer to as sentinels. And, I mean, they're just phantoms obviously but they they uh, easily kill just about all the Gamoran uh, mercenaries and the natives which is an old man and a, a little girl apparently are protected by some uh, talisman that they wear around their neck and the, the mercenary leader figures it out and takes the little girls so he can be spared and one of the sentinels actually doesn't kill her but takes her away so I thought it was interesting that chose to take her away so after that we go back to uh, team seven who they obviously heard everything that just happened and you know essence is basically telling them that they they need to not pursue this and that so she basically i guess she's not too different from the sentinels because she can she can turn uh into mist or whatever so she helps them get past them here and just reminds them that uh, if these mercenaries reach the prison, they're going to find, as we already know, Eclipso there. And then we pan over to uh, to what I know a lot of us have been waiting for, which is the introduction of Kaizen Gamora into the DCU. And uh, they gave him the design straight out of the Authority Volume 1. So 
Uh, it's really cool. Or somebody pointed, I think Ray from Clark's Bar, they're like, uh, I kept everything the same except uh, for a couple of design issues and the fact that his fingernails are not so long. <laughs> so, <laughs> but he's in his throne room and he has a... Um, what do I call this? <laughs> this is like minority reports here Egg, with yeah. the three cogs. <laughs> exactly. That's 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 exactly what I was going to compare it to. But yeah, he calls them the all-seeing children, and apparently that's how he's keeping up with the events on uh, Sentinel Island. And can you imagine Eclipso and Kaizen Gamora? <laughs> Kaizen's intellect and cunning and Eclipso's power. Bad news. Yeah. <laughs> so the the few surviving Gamoran mercenaries make it to the 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 heart of hell and and the prison where Eclipso is and they're about to to go after it when Team Seven finally catches up with them and uh and Destro takes takes point, but apparently the the Gamorans are ready and they've set up some explosives so it, it appears that they take out Deathstroke and the rest of the team starts trying to fall back, but uh, but of course Deathstroke is not dead, and he comes after the the leader, and they both head to the uh, to the uh, the heart of hell, and he takes out the leader and grabs grabs the jewel prison, and so Eclipso possesses Deathstroke, <laughs> so. So not a not a better choice than than Kaizen as far as who would you want Eclipso to possess. <laughs> <laughs> so this this might answer uh, a little bit of uh, how Deathstroke turns because that's true. Even just being possessed by Eclipso probably has some lingering effects. Maybe yeah, that would be very interesting if that was the case. <laughs> but yeah, I mean it's this issue was just a lot of fun. This is this is where I was. You know, waiting for Justin Jordan to take this title, and this had a very like Indiana Jones, GI Joe feel to it. You know, just you know this crazy little adventure that they're having, and I mean, it's just it was just fun. And and uh, I forgot to mention that Dest- wasn't Deathstroke the one narrating this issue? Because everybody seems to be getting a turn at narrating. Yeah, it's his war journal. <laughs> he says. So I like that uh, format that that each issue so far somebody seems to be narrating and we get their point of view and and since he's the one that ended up getting possessed it was fitting that we got his point of view of what happened so i mean i i i think that this this issue took this title in a, in a really good direction uh, uh just obviously they wrap this up it seems like next issue and then we're going to get into the whole spartan and lady tron or whatever happens there so i'm really really liking this book more and more now i think it was my top book for the month what do you think no i agree it's it's going in a cool direction and i hope that you know they keep doing small little arcs like this because you know we'll get to see uh, dcu history um near history and and see some of these characters fleshed out into their present day which will be kind of cool one thing i did want to point out and i didn't notice this until you started a uh, reprising the the issue here, but right at the end there, right before uh, Deathstroke becomes or becomes possessed by Eclipso, you flip a couple pages back as he's about to, you know, basically take out the mercenary who's going after the uh, like the Black Diamond or whatever. That um, did you notice in the background? You see the the moon start to become eclipse, 
and then the next page, which is the second to last page, the eclipse is bigger and it's almost full. Oh. And then the very last page is Deathstroke being possessed by Eclipso. So I thought that was a really cool little little uh, tease as we turn the page each time. So yeah. That was, it's slick. I, I, they're definitely uh, putting little things into each of these issues. And we probably missed a lot in this issue. Um, I'm hoping to read it one or two more times to see if we missed anything. Just because I know that Justin Jordan's thinking of, you know, Wildstorm fans and DCU fans when he's writing this, it seems. So it'll be cool to pick up on some more little little treats here and there as we continue in this title. Yeah, yeah, I know. I definitely look forward to... I usually don't reread these until the trades come out. That's my excuse for getting the trades, to force myself to reread them. So, <laughs> <laughs> so I'll just... I'll, that's when I'll be doing that. But no, this... Yeah, I... I uh, I mean, he's he's our spearhead now for adding Wildstorm characters in, obviously. So <laughs> for a while there, it was Scott Lobdell, and now it's Justin Jordan. So we really appreciate that, obviously. Yeah. So some other Wildstorm sightings and tie-ins in the DCU. We had, on December 12th, we had Legion Lost number 15, as we mentioned earlier, and the Ravagers are there as well, uh, fighting alongside the Legion. Also on that same day, December 12th, we had Demon Knights number 15, and here we learn, or actually we don't learn, uh, we actually watch Merlin uh, change into Adam-1, uh, what we saw of him in the Stormwatch present day. And we also get some more info about the Shadow Lords in the beginnings of Stormwatch in that issue. So that was some interesting uh, ties to that century and the present. Did you get a chance to pick that one up? I was going to pick it up. I actually made an extra trip to go get it, and I flipped through it, and I, I, I could tell, you know, that <laughs> that it was the end of the arc. <laughs> mm-hmm. So I was just like, uh, I was like, I'll just let y'all explain it to me, and I'll just pick it up and trade. <laughs> so <laughs> that's cool. Um, some other Wild Storm releases to mention on January 9th, uh, We'll have Stormwatch number sixteen. And then on January 16th, we'll have the final issue of Grifter at number 16. Sorry, Joe. Uh, <laughs> 16 on 16. Yes. <laughs> it's probably uh, yeah. Good point. <laughs> and we'll also have Ravagers number 8, Team 7 number 4, and also the last issue of Legion Lost at number 16, which Ravagers will also be a part of since they continue that battle. And remember that all these books are available digitally, either through DC Comics website or comicsology.com, day and date every Wednesday. And actually, I don't know if you guys have noticed, but they've pushed up that uh, date and they've kind of pissed off some of the uh, local comic book shops because of that. (laughs) Oh, really? No, I hadn't noticed that. Yeah, they used to actually delay the uh, digital release until like later that afternoon on Wednesday or even that evening. And they actually pushed it up to like the morning of sometimes Tuesday evening uh, before. Oh, wow. Yeah, so I I don't know the exact timing, but um, I I know that some comic shops have kind of gotten annoyed at that, but, you know, the way that things have been going right now, I don't think it's going to affect too much. So hopefully uh, you guys continue to go out and support your uh, local shops and pick up these issues every month. Yeah, because obviously digital is doing well because, I mean, they always seem to be very secret about the numbers, but it's been over a year, and they're still there, so. (laughs) 
Just a few last quick shout-outs. Uh, be sure and check out Chris Stryker's Stormwatch site, which is stormwatch.ws, and remember to visit the Higher Authorities message boards, which is Clark's Bar, to continue to discuss the Wildstorm integration among Longstorm Wildstorm fans, and uh, that's theauthority.ws. And you can also check out our friends of the show, which is the Image Addiction podcast, as they cover new releases from Image Comics, and also the, the Savage Fincast, which is another part of our podcast family as they cover specifically the Savage Dragon title. And both of them can be found at uh, www.imageaddiction.net and get twice the Valiant coverage now with our friends of the show from the Only the Valiant podcast at uh, onlythevaliant.com and our friends over at culturalwormhole.com and their Valiant Feature podcast, which I was actually finally getting to listen to right before he, uh, we came on, because since I get my titles through DCBS, I'm always behind. <laughs> so, <laughs> oh, and by the way, Justin Jordan writes Shadow Man for Valiant, and it is awesome. So, oh, uh, yeah. Yeah, so uh, really enjoying all that stuff that comes out each month. And uh, you can contact us. Uh, you can find me at twitter.com backslash grifter78. You can find us both at the Wildstorm Resource Wiki. Uh, uh, ben is yoyomaster146, and that is wildstormresource.webpaint.com. Uh, the podcast is at twitter.com backslash wildstormaddict. Email us at wildstormaddiction at gmail.com, or check out our Facebook fan page and Google Plus page. And we're also on Stitcher, where you can listen to us on your iPhone, Android phone, Kindle Fire, and other devices with Stitcher. Find it at your app store or at stitcher.com. So, you know, we're finishing off the year here, and uh, I uh, hope everybody has a uh, Merry Christmas and a, a Happy New Year, because we're going to be hopefully getting some more new Wildstorm stuff in the new year. If nothing else, hopefully Justin Jordan will keep <laughs> keep helping out with that. So. Yeah, because our uh, our next show will be the last one with four titles to review, which uh, we know we've been going a little bit longer because of that, but it's been fun doing it. So it would be a bummer to go back down to three. Yep. So, But we'll see what the next wave holds. And don't forget to add us to your new device that you get during Christmas, everybody. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> so anyway, you know, thanks again for listening, guys. Feliz Navidad. Thank you.